Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs with Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And the Welcome Project collects first-person stories with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage with those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Brutes Market Cafe, two great ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we bring you a story from the Welcome Project's archive titled Made Us Feel Low, and we'll also be talking through an excerpt of The Power of an Open Question titled Fixing and Healing. Um, Allison, it was your idea to bring in um, this extra story today that's non-audio. What, what, what are your thoughts there? What, what made you bring this one in? Yeah, so I feel like in our conversations on this show and also in person off the show, we've been thinking about anger and the place of anger in social justice movements and social justice activism. And some of our conversations has been like around how do we use that anger? And I have tended to want to put it into a practice that Uh, is oriented towards thinking about healing. And I feel like sometimes I've heard you and I'm thinking also back to Dana when Dana was on the show, thinking about like anger as energy that keeps us holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that those two things are mutually exclusive, but I know as I've thought about how do I want to sustain myself in activism, I've come back to these two concepts of fixing versus healing. And I I see myself in habitually falling into the fixing category. And I don't know that that has worked very well for uh, either bringing about the change that I wanted to see or helping me stay healthy and doing that. And I, I want it to be the case that healing actually does set us up for remaining activists. Um, So I thought if this this person, Elizabeth Mattis Namgul, who's written the book Power of an Open Question and the chapter that, so listeners, you will hear us discussing and you'll get brief excerpts of, she's been really essential for me in helping think through how does a, a spiritual orientation and practice potentially prepare us to be better activists. Anyway, so that was, that's the long of it. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to start by seeing if we could, for the listeners, define these two concepts. Mm. So let's start with fixing, which I should say, like, I I just set it up as a a negative thing, a pejorative thing. And I I do want to say that I think it's a very normal impulse. So I'm not sure to label it bad is the the appropriate thing. Um, But we might hear as we talk through it, how it could be holding us back in some ways. So uh, what did you two hear her mean by that concept of fixing? I heard that there's like, I don't know, sort of like a, she talked about there's like sort of like a nostalgia for how things were before, you know, you needed to be fixed. So like an idea of like going back to that place before you felt pain, before you felt things like going back and 
I don't know, just sort of like it feels more clear cut. Like you can just sort of remove pain, remove feeling. You're fixing it. Definitive start, definitive end. Then you're done with it. And then for me, healing is like there's a there's a process that goes along with it that you have to sort of like submit yourself to. (laughs) And like and it's not just like, you know, with the body, it's with the mind. So you have to like once you're on board towards healing, I think that's. I don't know. I think I guess that's like the closest you sort of get to fixing potentially, at least for me. Yeah, I think I thought of it very much as like fixing is a whole solution to a whole problem, whereas healing is one accepting that there is a problem and that things may never be Mm. completely fixed and that you need to um, accept and move forward with that knowledge while also, you know, still advocating for yourself, but understanding that things are not going to be wholly fixed in one whole solution in this moment. Yeah, I think it's helpful to use the example of a physical need as a way then to analogously think about things that get even more complicated um, for like social relationships. So she talks about somebody going in for physical therapy. Like, so I broke my elbow And I very much wanted to recover the full use of my left arm. And the physical therapy gave me exercises to do, like holding weights to kind of to lengthen and strength, Mm -hmm. uh, stretch that arm straight again, and also things to gain the freedom of motion back, uh, all of which were very painful. (laughs) And I think anybody who's done physical therapy, like, yeah, sometimes the actual recovery is more painful than the injury. In this case, it was for me, but I didn't like my arm is not straight, (laughs) you know, like it, I didn't fix it, meaning it didn't go back to how it was prior with full mobility or the same, like I'm not, I'm no, I don't know. So I was going to say I'm no longer like, what's the word, not balanced, but like both sides of my body aren't symmetrical. symmetrical. Um, But actually then we could start to question, like, was it ever symmetrical? (laughs) Like, I mean, plenty of us are born into bodies that aren't whole or perfect to begin with. So then this ideal of getting back to something perfect that was pain-free, that was fully uh, useful is is a kind of myth that I think Elizabeth wants us to, to even question. Mm-hmm. Like, have we ever had a life that was perfect? And that's the word that I tend to associate with fix. Like it's to have some kind of perfection Um, I also think that the idea of keeping things steady or not, not flexible, not like fix it, like make it rigid, which we tend to think of rigidity as bad. We need flexibility, like to be able to maneuver through life. And yet it is like this ideal of perfection is about fixing things into a state that's always pleasant and good. And who doesn't want that? Of Mm -hmm. course, right? Like, again, this is a very sort of natural desire. But it turns out that life is way too dynamic to ever have something be frozen in time in that kind of kind of way. Yeah. So then if fixing is like this ideal of getting back to a perfect and you said nostalgia, Willow, like Mm -hmm. usually we think I'm recovering something I've lost. How do I do that? 
than healing. Can we say more about like how you saw that as a process? Were there any particular ways that she defined that that helps us better understand it as an alternative or a different framework or, or orientation of the mind? I guess for me, it's a, the what I thought when she was describing healing was um, a moving forward with the understanding of where you are. So mm-hmm. moving forward with the understanding that if you started out with an, an, an illness or you have a chronic illness or, okay, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. There are times in my life where it's been less severe and times where it has been more severe. Thankfully, I'm in a time where it's pretty chill right now. But I understand moving forward that my life, now that I have the understanding like what this is, what it means, is going to be forever informed by mm. this experience. That doesn't mean that I can't have a very full life. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that I can't have wonderful experiences and then I can't do things that other people can do. But it does mean that I am. this is a thing I am carrying with me forward. And there is no back. There is no before. This this is. Yeah, I like that a lot. There is no back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just mm-hmm. this is, which, of course, is very Buddhist. And I should say that, like, Elizabeth Mattis Namgul comes out of uh, Tibetan Buddhist lineage. So very much for her, this is informed by that spiritual tradition. Did you want to add anything? Oh, yeah. No, like, I thought about the same thing when I was reading through it like I remember like going to the doctor for like like medication so I could help anxiety and depression I'm like I just want to get rid of it Mm -hmm. just give me the pill that'll make it go away (laughs) and then I think like through that process of trying to fix it you sort of understand that fixing it is not possible and that there's like ways to alleviate it but not fix it and I think like that's part of the healing process to where you realize there's not a way for it to just anxiety to just go away for me to like go back before there weren't panic attacks it's just like it doesn't happen it's just sort of like something that you now live with and panic attacks are reality and they're going to come and that's okay and that's healing i think that just sort of accepting that this is sort of the journey that your body is on and you're not going to go back to where it was before yeah and that we actually do have the capacity to do so yeah um and sometimes that confidence in our capacity we have to build up Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of fear for me that leads to the fixing impulse a fear that i'm not strong enough um and so i think that's really important because we are talking about building strength and courage which is going to come up when we look at some of the passages here that i wanted to read so i think this is a good time to bring in um one example that uh, elizabeth gives in the chapter so that listeners also get to have um, some of the text in their mind. So she writes, On National Public Radio, I heard a woman talk about her experience with her daughter, a heroin addict who lived on the street. She tried taking her to rehab, talking to her, intervening in various ways, but to no avail. Finally, this courageous mother came to accept her daughter's situation. And rather than trying to rehabilitate or change her, she just went and sat with her in the park. She started to bear witness to the truth of her daughter's predicament. In one way, her story as she told it remained unresolved. She was unable to fix it. And yet, as a listener, I could feel the bravery and clarity that came from this woman's ability to work with her situation in a healing way. So that's the excerpt. And, um, 
I think for many of us that have experience with um, addiction and recovery, this, like for me, this paragraph always <laughs> grabs me and pulls me in two different directions because you see the loved one in the throes of addiction and you know how much they're hurting and potentially you've been hurt by them or seen how they hurt others and you really want um, for their sake and your sake and the sake of others that they love and relate to you to have that addiction end. Um, so I think we, I know I in the past have tried like the fixing part of that where you just try to intervene and make someone else different. Mm-hmm. And um, everything, you know, in the addiction community tries to teach you that that doesn't work. <laughs> And it really has to be the the person in addiction that comes to their their own recovery. So yeah, I feel the the tension that the mother must have gone through, and I feel very inspired by um, her ability to sit with her daughter. I wonder what stands out to you from this particular example, or I'm also curious about what you think it means to bear witness to the truth of her daughter's predicament, because that's Mm -hmm. a line that stands out to me, too. Mm -hmm. So I, in case you couldn't tell, dear listeners, I'm very left of the political spectrum. (laughs) Um, And I like, I, you know, I do a lot of reading. I try to stay informed. Like, I, I try to be a good little bean. I read my theory, all these other fun things. And it just, a lot. this is a lot of what um, leftist thought feels like to me, is meeting people where they're at and, and sitting with them, you know, metaphorically or literally. Um, like, we, again, using the addiction example, like people are going to use, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and there's a lot of way we can prevent that, there's a lot of way we can alleviate that, but what we need to focus on is that these people are people, and this is where they're at, and this is what needs done. What needs done, so like in the example of a heroin user, what this person needs is access to um, drugs that are as reasonably safe as they can be. Um, They need access to clean needles. They need access to um, a house. They need like space where they can exist that is their space and they are safe. Um, This person needs the same amount of food that I need. Like this is where this person is. And just because this person isn't where... I would prefer them to be or this person is in a place that may physically hurt me for my own emotional reasons that doesn't make them any less deserving of what we all deserve so to heal within like the social like justice context i feel is meeting people where they're at and making making that life as worthy of living as yours is So I want to push back just a little bit on the sense that it sounds like those are strategies that would fix things for the daughter, not like fix her as in get rid of the addiction, Mm -hmm. but like what if the daughter is not wanting to stop using heroin, so doesn't want the alternatives, for example. You meet them where they're at. Yeah, That's not my business. You know know what I mean? And I, again, I also have a loved one with an addiction. Like I these things happen and just like you're saying 
any kind of change, whatever it may be, whether it's for positive things, whether it's for somebody who wants to go to school or whether it's for somebody who decides to to join a social group. No one can make them go to the social group. They're the only person that can do that. You can encourage it. You can pave the way a little bit. You can offer to give them a ride. But ultimately, that's their decision. So I guess where I was coming from with that was like you have to respect their one decision and two where they are. So you're going to do what you're going to do. I love you. My love for you or my love for humanity in general means that I don't want you to be in unnecessary pain or unnecessary um, like lack of resources. Mm -hmm. So I will meet you where you're at and you're going to do what you're going to do. And if you go one way, then you do. And if you go the other way, then you do. Because that that's your choice. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio at 103.1 FM and also streaming online at wvlp.org. I'm here. This is, I'm Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And today we're switching up our format just a little bit in that we have a, a reading that the three of us have read ahead of time on these concepts of fixing versus healing. And then uh, we, we hope to use the concepts to think about um, the, the Welcome Project as a project. How have, how have we, I, <laughs> tried to use it, imagined it for fixing? And um, is it appropriate to think of it as a, as a healing project? And does that, if we use that concept, um, limit it in any way or does it expand it? So we do have a story from our Invisible Project we will be playing in the second hour to help us you know, think back to the relationship between these concepts and the Welcome Project. I don't know, Willow, did anything stand out to you from this, the story of the mother and what it means to bear witness to the predicament of the daughter? Yeah, I mean, I think I see it. I, I definitely see it through the mother's eyes, I think, like there's this impulse to sort of want to I don't know I guess like you you're like the guiding person so there's like the impulse to be like I know that this isn't right for you or I know that you know this would be better for you or I wish you would just do this or I wish you would just do that and so I think it's really interesting like and also like the imagery of her like sitting on a bench too and Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful just like the idea of just like you know like wanting to try to fix her daughter And then there's like a moment of like, you know, just sort of like stopping and sitting on a bench. And I always think of like sitting on the bench as like being really present in the moment, I think. And so I think that's just like just showing us that you just sort of have to like accept where she's at, you know, instead of trying to trying to rear people in the way that, you know, you think would work better or, you know, would be more healthy for them. I think there's like sort of a an acceptance that has to come when when you see yourself doing all these fixing sort of behaviors or these motivations for fixing, I think you have to just sort of sit with it. And then that's when the healing begins. And so I think that's where like the bear witness comes in, because I think beforehand, you know, fixing too, especially as, you know, a mom, you know, that's not her situation, it's her daughter's situation. So you're very, I don't know, like outward in all the time. And so, I don't know, healing becomes this very intimate and directed and yeah I don't know the more of a process I suppose yeah it's also interesting to think about what is being healed because like when we think about fixing in this case we'd be fixing the daughter or fixing the addiction but um, Elizabeth talks about healing doesn't promise us that she says 
quote, things will work out the way we want them to. It doesn't promise us a cure for old age, sickness, and death. It doesn't promise us a pain-free life. So it's not like when we're thinking about healing, it's really not about changing Mm -hmm. the daughter per se, but that um, Elizabeth does say that healing does promise a fundamental wellness, a wellness found within. So it's something in this case about the mother being able to I don't know, like rest in knowing that even if her daughter is hurting and maybe potentially hurting others, that she still loves her and that that love is what is actually the kind of wellness or health that the mother can have and offer to her daughter. Mm. Which, sorry, uh, no, you go. Go It also sounds like this is enabling her to have a relationship with her daughter. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's that's very important. That's so vital. And that's something that, especially when we talk about addiction, mm-hmm. like, and we talk about fixing addiction, that's usually the number one thing within context of, I've done all these things. I've paid for your rehab. I have taken you to your NAAA, your, your meetings. Like, why aren't you better? Like, I'm doing all of this work and I'm doing it for you. Why aren't you somehow, like, I don't know, repaying me by getting better? Why aren't you appreciating me and getting better? Like, that's, that's the idea, right? That's the feeling. But it's, it, now it's no longer ideal. And not all the time. We all have our moments, right? Of Just like um, the author talks about, like she talks about, like she still has moments of feeling very angry and upset about certain situations. But like those moments are fewer and far between. But like having those fewer and far between moments means that she gets to sit in the park with her daughter, And she gets to talk to her and see her probably way more than she did before. And there probably is still hurt there. There's no way there's not. There probably is still some resentment there on both their parts. But they have a relationship. They can sit in the park and talk to one another. Yeah, and I think the the other quote I wanted to bring in about strength might also help with that. Because the anger, resentment, or hope, or those feelings... Of course they don't go away. Like we would be inhuman if we didn't actually have them. We cuz we still want to see in this case the daughter heal herself or I guess I'm talking about overcoming her addiction in whatever way that that might might happen. But do we have the strength to be with all of those emotions without reacting to them and and then cutting someone off from us because the anger is too much or the resentment is too strong. So she, um, Elizabeth offers that one of the outcomes of being able to have the bravery to witness the truth of her daughter's predicament leads to a strength, which is soft, agile, and oh, oh, uh, sorry. Strength is a soft, agile, and open mind that bears witness to life, there's that word again, phrase again, rather than trying to fight against or live around undesirable experiences. Strength is our willingness to stay present in the face of uncertainty. Is there anything that leaps out in that passage or definition of strength that goes a little bit deeper with what we've just been talking about for you two? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like just talking about like the strength of the mom to you know, the impulse to fix once you sort of have that at rest. I mean, it takes strength to go against those impulses of wanting to Mm -hmm. fix somebody in, you know, the way that you think they should be. 
Well, it's also a thing of, it comes across to me as putting aside your own urge to feel good Mm -hmm. or to feel better about the situation. Because the fact of the matter is this person's child, you know, who they, you know, probably intentionally had and had, um, whether, no matter what kind of parent you are, you, everybody has like hopes for their kid, even if it's like a very basic thing of, I hope my child, um, finds love. I hope my child leads a happy life. This isn't fun. This isn't a nice situation for somebody that you love to be in. And it sounds, again, if you've, you've put the time in to try and, you know, fix this situation and it, it hasn't been fixed, that hurts. So, like, the strength to understand that if she wants X, which is a relationship with her child, she has to accept Y. Yeah. And importantly, to go back to, like, that might mean that you don't get to feel good. Yeah. So don't make it about ending your own suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really, you're not just accepting the daughter's ad- addiction. You're accepting the conditions of both of your lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might involve a whole host of things. Who knows what experiences have led up to the addiction or the mother's impulse to fix things. So it's, it's actually making space for all of life. <laughs> and I, I think that's the um, strength is our willingness to stay present in the face of uncertainty, which will include moments of joy and happiness. And I'm sure some of those moments sitting on the, the bench probably felt good mm-hmm. and maybe both left their time together feeling hopeful for what was next. And then perhaps like two weeks later, (laughs) it was painful again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this, because we can't fix and make reality stop exactly where we want it to, there's always uncertainty and that goes either way. So um, the daughter's addiction isn't fixed either. I I wanted to name (laughs) something I don't know that we've talked about it on the show, but Willow and I have definitely talked about this on Reagan. I'm not sure if you've been there for this conversation before, but I've, I've often approached my work on the Welcome Project in terms of fixing. And it became very clear for me, both with the Invisible Project and Flight Paths, but I think it always was operating with the campus collection too, which is that with, with the Invisible Project, um, I thought, okay, if we do this right if the stories are put into the context of the, you know, the infographics that describe the reality of, of the lack of affordable housing, da, 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 in Porter County. And this is traveling throughout the county and it is in the, the eyes and ears of enough people. There's this major decision that's coming out of, you know, city council to like allow for this new, um, project that housing opportunities wanted to do that that this invisible project would make that city council say yes mm-hmm. <laughs> which they did not <laughs> <laughs> um and so like i i felt like that project failed somehow then like we didn't get the outcome i wanted so it wasn't successful and Similarly with flight paths, I was like, this is the project that's going to end racism in Northwest Indiana. Mm. 
Yeah, and when you say it out loud, you're like, okay, that's unrealistic. But the impulse is still in me. I have had to try to do a lot of work to see like how not getting outcomes I wanted doesn't undermine the value mm-hmm. of the work that was done for both Invisible Project and Flight Paths. And I think, you know, some of that work is me recognizing I didn't fix anything. We didn't fix anything, but we are contributing to healing. And that's uncertain. There's the outcome of that is like going in, like who knows the impact it has had, small and large, Mm -hmm. um, for individual lives of people who participated in it and also even regionally for organizations or politicians. Yeah, I guess I've been trying to think about whether having the thinking of the welcome project as a way to practice healing rather than fixing does that still add up to a kind of social action like or a a, um, movement movement in the direction of of justice this is where I still like kind of get confused because I think about like injustice doesn't land on the shoulders of people equally and you know, like the impact is inordinately on those who are already vulnerable and suffering. And so it, it's like, I just, <laughs> I, am I going back to the mom who's like trying to make her own pain go away? I think that might be part of it too. But it also is like, how does action and change come out of, of healing? Um, so I, I think that's in the back of my mind and I don't know if you want to add anything to that before we go to our first story because I think we could we could use the invisible project story as a way to think about where do we see fixing healing in her personal account and then also like thinking of it as a project a story that belongs in the invisible uh, project but initial yeah. yeah no I mean I would love to think too like we talked about you know how Dana was talking about Um, using anger, using, you know, empathy to sort of drive social action and protest in order to get something. And I think, I don't know, I think, I think there must be, it must go hand in hand in some way. Like, I, I wonder, actually, like, how important is the impulse for fixing in relationship to healing? Like, how does, like, so, like, I think, like, when I first started with the welcome project and I learned about Gary and it's like I you know it's like growing up with all the 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 demographic differences like it was obvious that I grew up in a white community in Valparaiso and it was obvious that Gary was a majority black community and I never understood why we never talked about it and this project for me did a lot for helping me understand why things are the way that they are but I think there's like there's like that initial there's that realization that people have been hurt and then there's an an impulse to fix and to step in and intervene and try to eliminate that hurt or rather correct it Mm -hmm. in some way. And I think that actually might be really useful and helpful when you, I don't know, sort of set out to change other people's minds because I think one thing that fixing really is and feel free to push back on this, but more so than healing is that there is that anger element. There is that like fire element like you just you want to get things done and then i think healing is sort of a a, a transition that helps maintain the longevity of like Mm. social action potentially because i think 
you know, while I do have a lot of anger for, say, the Indiana decision to nearly completely ban abortion yesterday, like that makes me very angry. But I think in terms of me showing up to vote, me showing up to protest, me showing up to talk and listen to people, that, that requires a longevity that I think healing has to be incorporated in with the impulse to sort of fix. Because once you realize people are always going to suck, <laughs> certain people are going to suck and they're going to vote against you and they're going to do terrible things that take away your rights. But I think healing allows you to understand that that's going to exist regardless, but that your impulse to want to help people and want to move people and I don't know, hopefully move the needle for, say, abortion in Indiana. I think the acceptance that that is still there, the pushback is still there. You're not going to eradicate people's pro-life feelings. I think that sort of helps you stay with social action and stay and be motivated to show up and vote after a long period of time. Yeah. This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. Community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting this station and our show by visiting the website WVLP.org backslash support. Donations are tax-deductible, and we would sure appreciate it. You are listening to Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, uh, with me, Allison, Willow, and Reagan. And today we have done something a little bit different where we, the three of us read a short chapter from Elizabeth Mattis Namgul's book, The Power of an Open Question. And we've been discussing the concepts of fixing and healing um, and starting to think about whether um, the Welcome Project operates in one or both modes um, and what might the benefit be of seeing it as a project that heals and if that still allows for uh, the move to, to bring positive change and, and justice into the world. Reagan, did you want to say anything before I play the story that we might talk about that's kind of broader about the Welcome Project and these two concepts? Yeah, but I may be going too broad, so stop me if I'm being ridiculous. But I guess <laughs> for me, like, where one, everybody's allowed to have the fixing impulse. Thank you. Do not, <laughs> please release yourself from this, like, prison. Okay, <laughs> Everyone is allowed. That is the point. We are all allowed. Uh, and I think Willow has a valid point in, like, the initial, well, I can fix it. Uh, or, well, I could do that, are <laughs> very important impulses um, to get us going, to get us starting. Mm -hmm. um, but two, I think, and this is mostly from a journalist that I really, really admire called Carrie Poppy, named Carrie Poppy. Sorry, that was weird. Um, but she um, was referencing somebody else, but she was talking about how like individual, and I do not feel the Welcome Project is a failure, to be clear, but individual failure leads to other people's success. Hmm down the road 
you know, the Valpo did not pass pretty much anything for affordable housing. Um, the several opportunities that it has has had, despite you know wonderful projects such as the Invisible Project, despite individual community members and community groups being very adamant about the importance of this, um, community organizations, like, this has not happened. However when a lot of these things were happening, what was really popular was the not in my backyard movement mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. slogan, which then like held uh, parts of a movement. And right now in 2022, we're seeing a lot more just nationally, a lot more people like yes, in my backyard movement. Like they've, they've taken like, like most groups do, they take the other person's slogan and they make it sound silly. <laughs> and then they move forward with like that action of like, yes, in my backyard. Yes, I want this. And like, I think that it's not just the invisible project that has led to that, of course, but it's a lot of people coming together and it's a lot of like nonfiction and artists and fictional artists, like coming together with this understanding of this is something that needs to have attention drawn to it at minimum. And I would like to discuss it in a way that is either extremely consumable or is aesthetically pleasing or is a combination of the two um, or is extremely informative. And so like with this collective thing of maybe you drawing attention to this type of thing and then some journalist picks up this story and then somebody else notices it in their community and they pick that up. Like we're all just trying to make our corners a little bit better and when we're all just trying to make our corners a little bit better our corners get a lot bigger and they might meet and touch at some point and they might meet and touch some point and now we have a yes in my backyard movement Hmm. so like just because something didn't happen immediately or just because um like the i think the example that carrie poppy gave was um specifically in the like the 60s some a a black woman trying to be a governor and like her campaign failed like miserably but then later on we were able to have this and because we like this person who failed introduced the idea of one that being possible made it like look what a campaign would look like um what some things that this person had to deal with that they didn't anticipate but now that we we have a better understanding of like the kind of feedback we're gonna get we can move forward with that like everything has to be built on something you just got to start the something and i think that's something that we all need to keep in mind in regards to longevity is something yeah. it has to start somewhere and it might as well be you that is a great place to segue into our story for the day then and this is from the invisible project as we said which um, you can find more stories like this on our website at welcomeproject.valpo.edu. And if you're interested in particular with invisible project stories, there is a category called that. Um, this particular story is called Made Us Feel Low. It's difficult to be poor in the USA. When you go into an apartment complex and you ask for income-based housing, you're automatically put into a category. You're automatically separated from the rest of society. They treat you differently. Even to get an application is difficult, but when you get the application and you sit down to try to write it out, there's no one to help you. My niece is, um, has special needs. And her husband went to the Portage Township because they were being evicted from their apartment. They went for help. And they didn't get any help because they didn't understand how to fill out the application. No one offered to help them. They were sitting there struggling 
and finally just gave up. I look at the example of housing opportunities when I filled out my application for housing. They were kind, respectful, honest, and compassionate. When I um, filled out my application for the food pantry in Portage, she wanted to know why, you know, why my daughter didn't have a job, why I didn't have a job. You know, it wasn't enough just to answer the questions. I almost felt like we were being interrogated about our decisions in life. It was kind of a very humiliating situation because Portage does have a really nice food pantry and you get some really nice things, but it was being abused by people who didn't really live in the area or, or, or just lying on their applications. And so because of that, now we have to go to the Portage Township and we have to get a waiver. So my daughter and I went to the Portage Township and because my daughter is in school full time and she's not working, the lady who took our application just didn't understand that. She made us feel very low. It made me kind of angry afterwards in the car. I'm like, I don't want to go to that person and ask for help because they help you, but they do it begrudgingly. The poor people are looked down upon so badly that we're just trash and that we've done something bad in our lives or we're bad people because we've, we've ended up in a certain situation. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck. I let myself get knocked down sometimes. I do. But then I have to go to myself, my inner self, my inner strength. I have to take, almost take myself out of my situation and really look at it and ask myself, am I doing everything possible that I can to support myself and my children? Am I doing everything possible I can to advance my life? And I am. I'm doing everything I can. I'm not such a bad person. I just have some bad situations. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Schutte, Willow Walsh, and Reagan Skaggs. And today we are talking about two concepts, fixing and healing. Um, And we just heard a story from our Invisible Project initiative. So I wonder, um, just first of all, to give you some freedom, you know, is there anything about the story that really stood out to you? that you appreciate about her her perspective on her experiences. She told us a little bit about what it looks like to, you know, apply for like a housing voucher with housing opportunities or go to the the food bank in Portage. And that's not something I have any experience with. And so that's, you know, makes me feel awful that she had that experience. But it's just like, it's every time I hear Invisible Project stories, it just... There's a fixing impulse. There it is. <laughs> Just want to, you know, there's so many things we could do differently to make people feel like they can be welcome in our community and a part of our community and not alienated and judged. But yeah, but she was just telling us about 
you know, how people look at her, um, that they look down on her, um, that they don't understand this, the, the choices that she makes or <clears throat> doesn't understand her home situation. It gets to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm struck by the fact that one of the agencies that's supposed to be helping fix uh-huh. the problem actually does so in such a demeaning way that it makes the storyteller not even want to go for that resource. Uh-huh. And then that's in contrast to how housing opportunities helped her fill out the application that she would need to be, to be put in consideration for, for housing through their agency. So it's it's like even when we have fixes in place for social equity, like trying to help people who've been negatively impacted, we could do it in such a non-healing way. So I am a college dropout, but I did um, go for social work and sociology. Part of that was an internship experience. And then after college, um, I did I did have a brief tenure as a social worker. And this is a very familiar story. Just this whole thing of needing help. There are supposed resources for you. The resources don't want to help you. The paperwork's too complicated. No one's helping you with the paperwork. You know more people who need help, and you're trying to help them too, but you're burning the candle at both ends. Like it's This is a very familiar story. And the the her discussion of somebody being cruel like outright cruel to her and her child because they have need of these services is it's extremely common and i experienced it a lot in my internship experience and i experienced it a lot in my soul like from my fellow like people who were supposed to be helping like the people we i know you hate the populations but the populations that we were supposed to be serving um unfortunately that is not that is not unheard of or uncommon one thing that I was really struck by listening to this story in the context of these two concepts is how the storyteller herself is an agent of her own healing, mm-hmm. even in the face of, of these experiences. And I, I think it's important that she goes back to her car and is angry mm-hmm. <laughs> because that is the appropriate reaction mm-hmm. to being treated that way. And it seems to me, at least in the compressed story she gives of this account, that that anger she uses to help her, she says, I almost have to take myself out of my situation and really look at it and ask myself, am I doing everything possible that I can to support myself and my children? And I feel like the anger was like the key to like do this kind of check-in and for her to recognize, yeah, I am. I'm doing everything that I can. This is my best. And that's enough. Yeah, that that sense of stepping back from her situation allows her to take in all of the conditions, right, that have led to this moment and to see that this isn't something like the, sounds like the Portage Township um, person that was asking all the questions was like, you know, what are you doing wrong Mm -hmm. to get yourself in this situation? And so when she steps back from her situation, she can really take in all of the uncertainty that is at play in just what it means to live. In her case, I know from other stories, it includes um, mental illness 
and also like things that happened um to their trailer that were completely outside their Mm -hmm. control uh which is is why they ended up being homeless in the first place so I, i find that very important to for myself to recognize that we can be agents of our own healing. We don't have to do it for others, Mm. you know, like, and I think sometimes I inadvertently expect too little of people like who are suffering the impacts of injustice. Like somehow I diminish them by thinking they can't continue to be agents of healing in their own situations because the situations are refusing to change. Mm. So it feels really important for me to recognize like that, that that's something that healing as a perspective can help free me from, you know, these assumptions that like if the system is broken and the people stuck in them are broken, maybe I would say it's not their own fault, but I'm still seeing them somehow as incapacitated. And I think that this storyteller does a really good job of showing how that's just not the case. And I, I think like, all of our invisible project stories do that. And actually so many of our welcome project stories generally talk about and show how people are agents of their own care in the face of mm-hmm. t- sometimes not being able to receive it. No, I mean, I think that's also um, when we talk to people in these situations and I, I have gone to food banks, you know, we, we've all well, not, but a lot of people have been in those situations. It's not that uncommon. Um, another recession is coming. It will become more Mm. common again soon people need things but i think that's what a lot of people say or at least a lot of people say in the circles that i travel in with like there's no love like there is love amongst like poor people like there is no love like that and it, it really does feel that way a lot of the time just because like well maybe this person doesn't feel comfortable going to the food bank because of their experience but this person does and so like this person gets food and like this person doesn't know how to cook but this other person does so she'll cook and like we'll have like something for like the whole neighborhood you know like if i have something and and i know somebody else needs it like here you go like there it really does feel a lot of the time like i especially i guess somebody who grew up poor my family my mom is now like middle class and then i i was still poor going to college and having the experience of a very different class experience of um we i laugh about it a lot but like the expectation that like you somebody like you drove somebody or somebody drove you and they like venmo you like a dollar 50 for gas like that is so insane to me and so foreign to me and like very different from like the kind of like communities and like friendships and like relationships that I've had because there's just such different expectations. Cause if you know, like if you're poor and you want to go do something and you know, your friend is also poor, but you have like that extra dollar to like go to a place that is not your house. Like how wonderful that you both get to do that experience as opposed to like an expectation of, I don't know, monetary reciprocity i don't know how to explain that (laughs) you're saying that people who are used to living with very minimal means find ways to stretch and share it in ways that maybe other people are like well i'd be happy to do this for you but then there's kind of an expectation in the back of the mind that it'll be repaid in kind someday somehow like it's it gets more like economic it feels much more transactional <laughs> yeah that's than, the word that's the word because yeah, yeah. even now and again at work like you know we, i work at a food service place i don't know like make a lot of money neither does anybody else that really works there 
but we all like pull in what we have like there's people who have gardens and they bring stuff and like a food was gonna go bad so i literally made like a bunch of tahini sauce and brought it in so that it didn't go bad so then everybody took some tahinis like you know we're all like that's like that feels like love to me Hmm. like that's what love is it's like we're all just bringing in a little bit of what we have or like I know one, a couple of my coworkers don't have cars. So like I make a point if it's raining, I'm driving you home. Like it's just a little bit of love. So I wonder to stretch it. I'll see if I can do this or not. (laughs) Uh, Since we're in the context of Valparaiso um, and we have to accept that there is a city council currently that is not invested in creating more affordable housing for more of Valparaiso's residents. Um, if we have to accept it, then does that lead us to um, pivot and pool our energies towards this more like we'll take care of each other? And I, I guess that th- that feels like a, a a positive move. If we are only doing that, and are we taking our attention away and pressure away from city government? are we dropping the ball? You know, like, so this is like, I'm, I'm trying to get back to where and when do we press for the kind of structural change, you know, that, for example, would mean that forms become easier to fill mm-hmm. out or um, investment in the staff of social service agencies so they don't feel themselves so, I, I don't know, like under-resourced that they arrive mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or skeptical of their clients. Does the healing that we've been thinking about lend itself to what you're talking about, Reagan, where we have more of a, we'll take care of each other because we can't fix the problems? Or is there still room for healing to actually go beyond that and motivate us to keep pressing for bigger kinds of changes that might benefit I was thinking about that a little bit. So like you said, like healing, does that pull us away? Does that relieve the pressure that we could put on city council to make some of these changes if we go inward and do more community interpersonal exchanges? And I was thinking about that and I'm like, what if, okay, I'm like, are we then, then as the community who pulls away and, and takes care of one another, then do we show up to city council when things are really important like that would affect us like let's say they have like a a ban on farmer market stands or something like if we put them out on our lawn and they're like no you can't have that or like the black lives matter painting that was on a house Mm -hmm. that to me conveyed you're welcome here and i'm here in this community in a red state but i see you and you're valid and you're welcome here um when they paint that down do we show up at those times to say i don't like that but uh, I honestly, I think what would actually happen is that as we turn away from government to represent us and then then they're not representing us and we turn inward to our community to help each other to, I don't know, like bring in food from the garden or, you know, tahini sauce or something like that, like that creates longer lasting interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships i think that are that are deeper and more complex and i think that if we know anything from the welcome project it's like that personal experience that you have with somebody is going to motivate you to show up so let's say 
you know, somebody you know needs an abortion and now you're in Indiana and you can't get one, but you've connected with them and you've created a deep relationship that you no longer feel like, oh, well, I'm pro-life or whatever. You're like, wow, I see this person as a full human being who has a complex life and a variety of choices and, you know, this happened to her. And so it's like, I don't know, I feel like that would be a motivating factor to help us show up. But then at the same time, it's like, when you show up, is that when the fixing impulse comes back in? Like, is that, is like the process of showing up and trying to get the law changed, is that, can that be a part of healing? Or is that like the motivation of fixing is there, but the healing is accepting that it might not happen to go the way that you want it to go. I think it does, though. Like, if you look at the speaker, like, at the end, like, one of her things is she's checking in. She's like, am I doing everything's possible? Yeah. Yes. So now this is where I'm at and this is my best and I am moving forward from there. So, like, I think that's part of it is, like, you need to do that check-in of am I doing the things that I feel like I can do? Okay. Then this is what I'm doing and I don't control the outcome, but I control what I'm doing. And it's just the next step. Yeah. And then you stay open to whatever comes up next. Mm -hmm. And you then approach that situation. You're just trying to make your corner a little bit better. Yeah. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in today for Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And as we head out, we always like to do a plug for Morning Black, which you can hear on the station Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., Thursdays at 2, and Fridays at 9 Um, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center, asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business at their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. Visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.belpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP on our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support.